Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Dear MMA, Oh, my precious daughter, I'm so glad God chose to bless me with the amazing privilege of being your mom. It's one of my absolute greatest joys. It seems like only yesterday I held you in my arms, and yet, in the blink of an eye, 18 years have passed. Even before God gave you to me, I've been praying for you. It's been incredible to watch God answer and mold those prayers as you've grown. So now, as you reach this new place of readying your wings to fly, I continue to pray for you. I pray you know how much I love you, but I pray even more that you know how very much your Heavenly Father loves you. I pray you remember you are chased, relentlessly pursued by the only one who knows absolutely everything about you and undeterred seeks you out to wrap you in His grace and His perfect love and who desires to lead you and walk with you every moment of every day. I pray your relationship with Him is ever deepening and that you are so confident of His love that you choose to walk in absolute surrender, willing to stake everything, risk it all, to follow His plan for you, even above your own. He's written an amazing story, and my biggest prayer for you is that the story God wrote for your life is the story you live. The world will set its own expectations for your life, and I pray as you face decisions about your future that your choices reflect God's design for your life, and that any voice that beckons you otherwise would dim in the light of His faithfulness and worthiness. I pray His love lets you walk in freedom and gives you a passion to stand up for what's right, even if no one else does and that His love will engrave itself in your heart so deeply that you can feel safe even when this world doesn't offer safety, and that it lets you choose hope and faith when you face fear. I pray that when He leads you atop mountains, that you take time to stop and praise Him, but that you don't resist when He calls you to press on. As your mom, it would be so easy for me to pray for life to always be easy and good to you. But we both know that just as the seeds we plant in our garden must break open for the plant inside to be free to grow, it's in our brokenness that God makes us whole. So, with that in mind, I pray as you follow God that you trust Him to make you broken whole. I pray you embrace His grace when you make mistakes and let the fullness of His forgiveness shine through. I pray you don't hide your brokenness Allow the beautiful mosaic He creates from your broken pieces to point others to your redeeming Savior. And I pray in the moments of your hardest trials, when the storms rage in your life, that you choose to trust Him and that He gives you a peace so secure in Him that even in the midst of the storm, there's no place you'd rather be than walking side by side with Him, come what may. So my girl, 
as you prepare to fly off into God's great adventure that awaits you. I pray you spread your wings in excited expectation to live the story that He has written for you, because I promise, no matter where that journey takes you, it will be an awesome story, and you'll be glad you lived. I love you forever and ever and always, my girl, Mom. So thankful for each of those videos we've gotten to watch as we kick through this series and roll through this series. Seeing uh, Cassandra and MMA just talk about their relationship is awesome. Uh, we are in a teaching series called Letters to My Children. We're thinking about things that Solomon wrote to his son in the book of Proverbs and how God ends in turn taking those letters that Solomon wrote and applying them to our lives. Because we have a father who preserved his word for us, who wrote us a letter to know how to be in relationship with him. And the Bible is exactly that. And so as we think about this, this morning, we're going to jump into Proverbs chapter 5. We've already mentioned it, but I'll say it again just because it's worth saying. Uh, We are talking about some things today that's kind of PG-13 in nature, and so uh, I want you to be aware of that up front. Uh, We're going to be discussing some sensitive material, especially around sexual relationships. And really what we find as we jump into this chapter is that there are warnings and then there are encouragements for us. I'm going to show you a video that's going to be playing on the screen behind me as I kind of talk through this, because just a few weeks ago, uh, a hurricane, Hurricane Ian, hit the coast of Florida. And there were warnings as Ian approached making landfall for people to leave the area. And specifically, as it got closer in, and we kind of knew the area that would be impacted the most, Fort Myers is what's being shown in this video. There were warnings over and over again, you need to leave, you need to get out of this area, the storm is going to hit here. And people had to make difficult decisions. What are they going to do? Because in a matter of hours, the things that were land would become ocean and the hurricane winds would come in and people had to make difficult decisions. Do we leave or do we stay? And for many people who decided to stay, they lost their lives during the storm. And what God is going to tell us today is that there are warnings for you to know and understand when it comes to taking my gift of sex outside of the boundaries of marriage. And if you're going to play with that dangerous game, it could very well be destructive for you. It could kill you. And so we're going to see this warning today from Solomon to his son as we think through this. Because in each of the next three chapters, in in chapter 5, 6, and 7, he's going to talk about this topic. Uh, The Bible never really strays away or, or gets squeamish about talking about sex. Uh, And so we're not either. We're going to jump in. We're going to talk about these things. And so as we jump into chapter five this morning, we're going to see some things here that God's warning comes to us. And he tells us about a pitfall that takes place in so many people's lives. Like it's devastating the amount of people that this impacts. But before we dive into that conversation, I kind of want to set it up this way and talk about it this way. Because you may have grown up in a tradition where the only time you really heard about sex in church was from a very negative point of view. Some of you are already sitting there looking at me and going, I'm not sure I like this conversation already. I think you've said sex like four times. And is this church? Where are we? Like, is what's going on? Here's the deal. Most of us, if you kind of grew up in a certain faith background, your view or perception of church was when we talk about this topic, it's always from a negative perspective. Sex is bad. Sex is evil, avoid sex, don't have sex, it's wrong. Until you get married. Then you flip a switch and sex is great and you should go and be happy and enjoy yourselves, right? 
And that's the conversation. And somehow in our minds, we're just supposed to go from sex is evil, sex is bad, to sex is good, go enjoy it with your spouse. And how we make that transition. So I want you to know today that God does not think about sex as being bad or evil. In fact, let me tell you a little secret. God created it. (laughs) It's his idea, his invention, his design. C.S. Lewis said this, pleasure is God's invention, not the devil's. So when we think about this topic, we should talk about sex in light of God's goodness and celebrate sex within the boundaries that God created it for. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, I am a little bit of a pyromaniac. All right, I, I love fire. I love to watch fire burn. I love the crackle of the wood. I like the ambiance that fire creates. I just love the heat that comes off of fire. Like I will stand over a fire for hours at a time. Just love it. I will burn stuff until it is just gone, right? Love it. And fire in its context in a fireplace is a great thing. But the minute I take a log that's burning and place it on my couch, it's destructive. It'll burn my whole house down. It's taken out of the context it was designed for and intended for and put into a place that it was not built for. And it has the power to be destructive. In its context, I can enjoy it fully. Out of its context, God has warnings for us. I want you to know some things, not because sex is bad, but because there is a way to enjoy it best. And so we're going to see from Solomon as he talks about this, what he thinks and how he talks to his son. Now, you might be thinking, you know, Pastor, earlier you said that a huge percentage of people are affected by adultery. So are you saying that the vast majority of the population engages in adulterous relationships? Well, it depends on how you look at it. And here's what I mean by that. I don't think, based on my observation, my experience, that the majority of people in our country are sleeping with someone that they're not married to. Here's what I do think that when you see Jesus talk about this in the New Testament, he takes it from a physical issue to a heart and a mind issue. And so here's what we read from Jesus in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, right? Adultery is having sex outside of your marriage with someone that you're not married to. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, the message that Jesus gives here wasn't just regulated for men, nor is the message that Solomon, as he writes to his son, just regulated to men. But this is the way that they're approaching it in the context, in the culture that they live in, right? So Jesus says, if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. Lust in the heart is not something only men deal with. It's an issue for all of us. There are things that we deal with in this area. And so for someone who might say, well, I haven't gone outside of my marriage and slept with somebody else and and had adultery. No, maybe you haven't, but it's a completely different thing altogether to say, I've never looked at someone and wished I were with them. I've never let my mind drift while watching a movie, while reading a romance novel, while watching someone else in a relationship. I've never let my mind drift to dangerous places. We have to fight against lust all the time because things in our culture are super sexualized and lust can be different for men and women, right? 
God created us differently. Men tend to be, this is generalization, but men tend to be rather visual in nature. God created us that way. So danger zones for a lot of men, swimming pools, the beach, like areas like that, like those can just be places where the lust factor gets ramped up, right? But it doesn't have to. You can be fully clothed and men can lust after you, right? Like that's just how it works. Women might lust after some different things. You might see a guy at the beach with a shirt off and lust after that guy. But a lot of women will find lust in different ways. The security that you believe another man provides his wife that you don't feel from your husband. You might lust after that kind of security. The financial provision that another husband provides for his family that you don't feel financially taken care of and secure. You might lust after a guy who's going to provide like that for his family. You might watch a couple at a restaurant and see the guy just listening to his spouse and letting her talk to him and he's just absorbing it all in and you're going, oh, I wish my husband listened to me like that. And all of a sudden your thoughts drift to, man, if I were married to that guy, he would listen to my heart. And your lust may be achieved in different ways, but we all struggle with this. I mean, then there's a final warning for us to, to get before we even hit Proverbs chapter five. And I promise we're going to get into this in just a second. But I want to give you some statistics that are really mind-blowing because we're warned about lust outside of marriage. And when Jesus says, if you lusted after a woman in your heart, it's the same as if you committed adultery with her. And in our culture, in our world, pornography provides a huge opportunity for that type of lust to take place. And so if you think about some statistics about pornography, there are around 42 million porn websites in the world, which totals around 370 million pages of porn. Here's what that tells us. Pornography is easy for you to access. Pornography as an industry makes more money than Major League Baseball, the National Football League, and the National Basketball Association combined. Pornography takes in more money than ABC, NBC, and CBS combined for all of the advertising that they do. And so when you think about what pornography, the reach that it has, here's something else that we find. This is not just something that non-Christians deal with. Surveys are telling us right now that 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults who are 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. And again, I'm telling you this, it's not just a men's issue. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. And this survey says that only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they've never watched porn. So that means 87% of Christian women have. Here's what's really staggering. If you engage in this kind of activity, statistics tell us that pornography use increases the rate of marital infidelity by 300%. You are 300 times more likely to have an affair if pornography is a regular part of your life. And then here's the last statistic I'll give you. 56% of American divorces are credited to one party abusing pornography. This is a big deal. So when Solomon writes about this, and when Jesus warns us about this, and the reason that I'm telling you all these things that's so awkward and uncomfortable for you to listen to and for me to talk about on stage... We go, why? Because it's important for us to know. Because Jesus is going to give us some things today that can help us 
as we follow after him. So with those statistics in mind, I want you to know that God, our loving father, wrote a letter to us through the hands of Solomon to help us find a path that will preserve marriage and help us to stay pure in the way that we follow him. So if you're someone who struggles with lust, you're wrapped up in a secret adulterous relationship, you're considering having an affair, I want you to listen closely to Solomon this morning and I want you to hear the warning first and then I want us to see the encouragement for how to avoid this. All right, so here we go. Proverbs chapter five, verses one through 14. He says this, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. And so there's a few things that I want us to focus on as we uh, just read a warning to us. Uh, these things will help us understand that the excitement that we think is going to come from an affair is not always going to bring what we desire. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, immorality is tempting and it's packaged as sweet and healthy. Did you notice how he talks about the adulterous woman? He says her lips drip with honey and her speech is as smooth as oil. The imagery there that we find, as Solomon talks about this, what honey, honey's delicious, right? It's amazing, it's sweet to taste, we love it, I want more of it. Every time I eat honey, I'm like, I want some more honey, that's good stuff. And then when you think about oil in the Middle East, and it's in Israel particularly, olive oil is a major product, a major export that they use, and it has all kinds of health benefits to it, and eating, and the kind of foods that you enjoy with olive oil. And he goes, there's this package deal that looks like it's sweet and it's healthy. It's good for you. But he says, but when you look at it and when you attach those things to the adulterous woman, you need to understand that everything that looks good for you isn't. Look at verse four. He says, but in the end, she's as bitter as gall and she's sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. So here's the second thing I want you to see. What looks enticing ultimately leads to death. Ultimately, this leads to a place of death. Solomon says the adulterous woman promises sweetness. She promises health, but in the end, she's bitter. And she's like a sharp, double-edged sword. No matter which way you grab it, it's going to cut you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to kill you. And I'm not necessarily talking about physical death. You may not physically die if you have an affair. You might. Your spouse might kill you. <laughs> but I'm talking about soul death that takes place. I'm talking about the death of relationships that take place. I'm talking about some people who used to love you and care for you who maybe will turn away from you because of the decisions and choices that you've made. I'm talking about these things that are harmful relationally not only with you and God, but with you and other people. 
How many families have been destroyed because of choices to pursue someone outside of our marriage? And so you'll see the death of some of these relationships. Affairs are a nasty business when they come into the light. So Solomon's going to give his son some advice to avoid getting wrapped up in these adulterous relationships. He's going to go, son, if you'll listen to me, here's what I want you to know so you don't get enticed and dragged away to this and so that you don't get pulled in. Jesus said it was a heart issue. And Solomon actually says the same thing in, in Proverbs 6, the next chapter over. He says in verse 25, do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. Right, so here's what I want you to see next. Adultery begins in your heart. Adultery starts in this place where you give it a place to grow internally. Before you ever move into the physical realm, adultery begins in your heart. It begins in your mind before a physical action is taken. So what Solomon is warning us to do here is to step away from this type of relationship. So the question is, how do we avoid stepping out of a God-honoring marriage and pursuing an affair? How do we avoid that? And here's what Solomon's going to say next, verses 7 and 8, Proverbs chapter 5. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. And so here's what Solomon would say. The best defense is distance. That's true in marriage. It's not true in football. Tennessee tried that yesterday. Thank you. <laughs> but when you think about going, if I'm going to play good defense in my marriage, I'm going to keep to a path far from the adulterous relationship. I'm going to keep to a path far from someone who I could be tempted to do something with that would be inappropriate. And when I think about these things and when I look at these things for myself, when we get to Proverbs chapter 7, we're going to see this play out. Solomon's going to tell us in chapter 7. Solomon gives us an incredible picture. He kind of spies on a kid. I imagine him being on the rooftop of his house, and we're going to talk about this when we get there, but he just watches this young man, and he says the young man is simple-minded. He's not thinking very well, and the thing that he's doing is playing with fire as he intentionally moves toward the path of the house of the adulterous woman. And Solomon watches from a distance how this whole thing unfolds. And he goes, he's not wise to avoid the path. He intentionally moves toward it. And we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, have to be people who, if we're going to preserve our marriages, we have to keep distance between us and potential damaging relationships. So ask yourself the question, do you have any relationships that are unwise? Maybe with a coworker of the opposite sex that's getting too familiar. Or maybe you have a neighbor that you've just gotten too close with and your conversations have drifted into inappropriate areas. Do you find yourself alone with a person of the opposite sex that could threaten your marriage? I've tried to take steps throughout my life and my marriage. My wife has been so good to help me in this to put up roadblocks or guidelines for me so that I, I'm never in a vehicle alone with someone of the opposite sex. I'm not gonna go to a meal and sit down at a restaurant with someone of the opposite sex. I'm not gonna have meetings where it's just me and a person of the opposite sex alone somewhere. A, a few weeks ago, I made a mistake and I scheduled a meeting with a woman here at the church not knowing that no one else on our staff was gonna be here during that time. So I was like, okay, what do I do? 
So it's like, well, I'm not going to sit in my office behind a closed door. There's no integrity in that. So I called a couple of our elders, said, here's what I've done. I wanted to make you aware of this. I called my wife. I made her aware of it. And I said, I can't not do this meeting right now, but we're going to sit in the gathering area because in the gathering area, there are like three cameras (laughs) and they record everything that's going on. And if any kind of accusation comes up of this meeting and something inappropriate that took place, I have video proof that it did not. Right, so I'm going to put myself in a situation that I'm above reproach. I want to do that always. I've got accountability software on my phone so that if I look at something that's inappropriate, one of my accountability partners gets an email with a link to that site, and they're able to call me and go, hey, why was this something you were looking at? What, what, where was your mind? Where's your heart? What's going on here? One of the best things that I've done in my life and in my ministry is have men who love me who hold me accountable to sexual purity. When I travel to hotels and spend the night somewhere alone, I'm going to make sure that I call my accountability partners. I'm going to, I want you to call me in the morning and I want you to call me in the evening every day that I'm traveling while I'm by myself and just make sure that I haven't done anything stupid, that I'm not with anybody that I shouldn't be with and that I'm not watching anything inappropriate on TV or on my phone that I shouldn't be. Hold me accountable every morning, every night. You have permission to call me and ask me hard questions because it takes that to be able to maintain purity. And when I do have times that something happens and my accountability partner gets that email and goes, Hey, you looked at something that I think was inappropriate on your phone. What was going on with that? We do what the Bible says. James tells us to be people who bring our sins to one another, confess them to one another, pray for each other, and then get back on the path again. That's what we have to be willing to do is to say, hey, I messed up in this realm and I need your accountability for it. Will you help me by praying with me, by getting me back to a place that I need to be and get me back on the path that I need to take so I can preserve my relationship with God so that I can preserve my relationship with my wife and make sure that I stay healthy. Now, as we talk about this, I want us to turn the page a little bit because again, how many conversations have we had in church where it's all like sex is bad and don't do bad things and sex is evil and stop it and don't do anything that you wouldn't appreciate or don't have these kind of conversations on stage in front of people, right? You've heard that message, but Solomon's going to move on to the next part and he's going to say, there's something I want you to know, son, that marriage is good, that it was designed by God and that sex in marriage is God's gift to us. And so here's what we're going to find. And I'm going to tell you something as a pastor that maybe no pastor ever has told you before in your entire life. You ready for this? Nathan's ready for this. He's in the back raising his hands right now. God wants you to have great sex with your spouse. You guys okay? I'm going to say it again. Nobody clapped or cheered or anything. I didn't didn't know what kind of reaction that was going to get. I sent this message this week to the elders, and I was like, guys, here's what I'm writing this week. Anything that you guys see in here that's inappropriate? Nobody checked me on this sentence, so I'm going to say it again. God wants you to have great sex with your spouse. He designed it for your... No, it's too late. That's not good enough. He designed it and crafted it and built it for your pleasure in the right context to be enjoyed for a lifetime together as long as you can. And so when you think about this, I want you to see what Solomon says in these next four verses. He talks to his son 
And he goes, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? No, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? So Solomon uses some poetic language here to describe intercourse in marriage. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about drinking water from your cistern. This is a way of saying, I want you to enjoy this gift that God's given to you. Water, cisterns, springs, streams, fountains, all of it is meant to point back to intercourse. And he says, I want you to think about this. And what do all of those things of imagery give to us? It gives us an image of being refreshed. Because when you sit beside a stream, when you drink out of a fountain, when you see water running in a stream or in a, in a uh, body of water, it's, it's refreshing. You're drawn to it. So he says, I want you to have that in your marriage. That's what I want it to look like. That you're always refreshed in these things, right? And so he says, you are to have your marriage bed be a place of refreshment and enjoyment. But notice what he also says. He says, I want you to keep this private. This is for you and your spouse. Don't let these things overflow into the streets. Don't let it become part of the public discourse. This is for you and your spouse alone. But enjoy it. It should be a flowing fountain. And then he says some things that I know guys love, women maybe not. He goes, hey, I want you to be intoxicated by your wife. He calls her a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. Ladies, it's a command. I'm sorry. What can I, I mean... <laughs> God told us, right? May you ever be intoxicated with her love. The real translation there should be lovemaking. He goes, I want you to drink your fill of lovemaking and then have more. That's what it means to be intoxicated, right? To drink and then overdrink, that's intoxication. He says, you be intoxicated by her lovemaking. You have all you want, and then have some more. That's the beauty of heterosexual marriage and monogamous marriage. Because you get to enjoy the gift that I give to you in your relationship alone. And do it to the point of intoxication. Then he goes back to a little bit of a warning. The final piece of imagery here, why my son be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace, embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin holds them fast, for they lack discipline. They will die, led astray by their own great folly. Now, this is convicting, but it's good to be reminded of the things that you're doing in secret and you think you're getting away with, you're not. God knows. And he says, God is watching. God is watching. God is aware of what's taking place. And he doesn't want you to end your marriage like that. The encouragement here is if you want to end your life in a happy, healthy marriage, what's he say? Be disciplined. Be disciplined. You've got to take some steps to preserve your marriage. You've got to take some steps to do whatever it takes to be disciplined enough to hold fast to your spouse. 
And so here's the last thing that I want to give you. If you want to make it to the end of your life in a happy, healthy marriage, be disciplined. That's what it requires. Not getting away from the things that God has told us will preserve our marriage. Stay away from the path of the adulterous woman. Stay far from her door. Stay on the path of commitment in marriage. And then here's where I want us to end our time this morning. Because this is an issue that so many of us deal with, and because Jesus ramps this thing up to 11 when he says that lust is not just something that you do uh, or adultery is not just something you commit in a physical relationship, he takes it to the place of it begins in your heart, it starts in your mind, it's this non-physical thing that you can lust in your heart. So, so many of us deal with that. In fact, this week I was reading some statistics along these lines and one church survey said this, that 93% of pastors say, that lust and adultery is a huge issue in the church. But only 7% of pastors said they had a formal plan for how they helped deal with that with people in their church. I'm going to be honest with you. We would currently be in the 93% of churches that don't have a plan to deal with this. Outside of maybe our life groups, or just the fact that our pastors are available to talk to people, we don't have a structured plan for helping people walk through these things. So my commitment to you and what we're going to be talking about with our elders is how do we form a plan to help people who are dealing with lust, to help people who are engulfed in pornography, to help people who are in an affair, are thinking about an affair, or have been through an affair. How do we strategically help you and partner with you to get back on the path that God has set out? So we're going to be working to come up with a strategy and a plan for what we offer as a church. In the meantime, the things that we do have set for you that I would encourage you to do is to talk to someone. If you're struggling in one of these areas, talk with someone. The things that Satan presses on us to keep in the dark grow in the dark. When we bring things into the light, God knows how to redeem and restore. So talk to someone. If it needs to be one of our staff or elders, we would love to have a conversation with you about the things you're struggling with. If it's your life group leader or someone in your life group that you trust, have that conversation. Take time to step into something difficult and talk about it. Only in the light can these things find healing. And in the light of the gospel, Jesus brings redemption. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.